Watching and listening to Stuck in Middle Podcast, I am your host, Reflex. Now, imagine you grew up in a third world country where even after getting the highest level of education, there is little to no opportunities for people. And as a student in your you know, early teen years, you get an opportunity to travel to the United States on a full scholarship and you take it and you make the move. Now, while pursuing your dreams in education, you, you know, fall in love and uh, you get a relationship that becomes violent and toxic and you are the victim, victim of domestic violence. And while pursuing justice, you end up in jail. You, the victim, end up in jail. That's the story of our guest today. In this episode, I'm joined by Anne Alabuele. She's the author of Scars to Stars, a memoir. She shares a story of coming to the United States as an immigrant student, going to nursing school, becoming a registered nurse, getting involved in a toxic relationship that ultimately ends her in prison. This is Stuck in Middle Podcast, a platform for entrepreneurs, innovators, creators of African descent, where we share stories, ideas, and experiences, how we can break the mold. Uh, if you are returning, we appreciate y'all for joining us on a weekly basis. Shout out to y'all. If you're watching on YouTube, hit the subscribe button, hit the bell notification so you get updates every time we drop something new. If you are listening on Spotify, do a screenshot, share it on your social media platforms, hit the subscribe button, leave a review so the algorithms can help us. Uh, we're going to get right into it. Like I said, our guest today is Anne Alubole. How are you doing? How are you feeling? Thank you for joining us. Hi, I'm good. Thank you for having me here. <laughs> you joined us all the way from uh, North Carolina. This has been this is like a quick turnaround one. Usually we have guests on the calendar for a while, but uh, you have an event coming up for your new magazine. We're going to talk about it, Afro Wellness. We're going to get into it, uh, the launch event. We're going to get into all that great stuff. But I just wanted to break the ice like this. You, you know, you, what are your thoughts on the saying time heals all wounds? How do you how do you interpret that? How do you define that? Um, I think I'm, I'm, I'm going to differ on that, on that phrase. <laughs> um, time does heal all wounds for some people and for, for some, for other people, it doesn't. Um, it's relative um, and it depends on the person. First of all, it depends on the person. It depends on the wounds because um, people have different scars you know, um, everybody who's been through trauma or some kind of trauma, in my case, was um, domestic abuse, um, domestic violence, and then um, the experience of being in jail and prison and being locked up um, for almost six years. Um, everybody's trauma experience is different. So over the years, I've learned that that phrase doesn't really hit home to everybody. Mm -hmm. Some mm -hmm. people's um, scars heal and some other people's scars don't heal. And I say that because I'm currently working on the book right now called uh, Our Invisible Scars um, to be released in December. And the reason why I decided to write that book that's coming up is because I'm sure you've also heard the phrase and every, anybody watching now has also had the, heard the phrase that what doesn't kill you only makes you stronger. It's the same thing like time heals every, you know, all wounds. Mm -hmm. um, 
sometimes what doesn't kill you kill you does not necessarily make you stronger it didn't just kill you you know mm -hmm. so yeah time heals someone's um eventually but others not really so for context you know taking it back a little bit and that's that's an interesting take on it you know some some people and of course you have a different array of experiences uh, that you're coming from but for context just to give our, our, our audience a, a context on you the person and you grew up in cameroon is that right mm -hmm. what part of cameroon yeah, I, I grew up in yaoundé and born and raised in yaoundé i was born and raised in yaoundé but um i did go to school in limbe and in Boya. and uh you have siblings yes i do i have a brother and two sisters so how how was life for you like growing up, you know, in Cameroon? Did you did you grow up around family? Were you a good student? Um, I did grow up around family. Um, I think I was a good student. I <laughs> I never had any problems in school. I think I was a good student. <laughs> what what like? Because you know, like I said in the out in the intro you eventually after you know completing a certain level of education in cameroon had the opportunity on scholarship student scholarship to come to united states and further your education what was your perception of the united states like while living in cameroon was that like something you was like yo listen one day i'm gonna go to united states so we're just like uh oh, it's you know it's out there home is home for me what was your perception like living in cameroon of the united states growing up in cameroon i think i really didn't think about living in the united states per se um i i personally wish i had a chance to go to college in cameroon at least for a year but my my parents did not want to hear about that um so they did whatever it was they had to do um to make sure that i was i started college here mm -hmm. so um i never really i can't really say that i i looked forward i knew one day i was probably going to visit but i didn't really i didn't think i was going to be a student here go to school and actually live my you know my teenage years here and my adult life here mm -hmm. um but i didn't think too much about living in the united states i guess because mm -hmm. i was still very young because i came here when i was 17 mm -hmm. right. so yeah so i guess i really didn't think about it yeah yeah and, and just keep out of curiosity have you been back since no i haven't been back mm -hmm. you miss home like you know you like yo one day i'm gonna go back home i do miss home but i always say this that everybody that i knew that that i know knew that was back home is either here in the u.s or in some other part of the world it's like they're no longer back home so it's like if i'm going back home I'm not, I'm not going to be able to see a lot of people, mm -hmm. <laughs> you right, know, right. that I consider friends and family. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, after being here for a while, it's just kind of like, you know, you've developed networks here, family here and, exactly. and things, different things like that. And exactly. speaking about networks, speaking about family, uh, you came here on a student visa. Uh, mm -hmm. And then I assume, did you have family here? Like, was that, was that, you know, family here? It was like, yo, I'm going to go live with auntie or my parents or, you know, brother, siblings. How, how was that transition like for you? Okay, um, I did have uncles and aunts here, and aunties here, and my brother, my older brother, the one that I, I come right after, was here. 
Um, so I did have family here. My parents were not here. They were in Cameroon, but I did have family here, like aunts, uncles, cousins. And then, of course, my brother was here. Mm-hmm. I can remember when I moved, you know, I'm from Cameroon, so I can remember when I moved here uh, 14 years ago, going straight to high school. And I, I, I assure you, a lot of immigrants, African immigrants went through a similar experience. It wasn't pleasant at all, you know, getting made fun of. Uh, what kind of experiences, what kind of struggles did you go through as, you know, moving in, you know, being established in a new different culture? Were there any challenges that you experienced? Um, not, well, the only thing that was really challenging for me and that used to frustrate me a lot was um, when I went to college, I couldn't understand why um, people couldn't understand my accent or they couldn't yes. understand the things that I was saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, but I'm speaking English and I'm not trying to sound funny, but you know, African-Americans had a hard time understanding me than my white mm-hmm. instructors. My white instructors could understand me better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's the one thing that was frustrating for me um, when, I, when I was trying to, you know, give a message or talk to somebody or ask them a question. And for some mm-hmm. reason, they can't understand what I'm saying. And I have to keep repeating myself and repeating myself. And then sometimes you just get frustrated and find the next person to, to ask the question and mm-hmm. hope that they're actually going to understand you. Mm-hmm. So I think that was the most frustrating part about, yeah. you know, when I first moved here. Yeah. And you moved at the age of 17. At the age of mm-hmm. 19, you met a man who was, you know, I, I want to say almost 11 years your senior and a formed a relationship with him. How did that relationship come about? Because that man would eventually, you know, become your husband and, you know, your, your abuser. Um, yeah, I met him at 19 on, on the college campus. Um, I used to work at Bojangles on campus. That was my first job ever. Hey, first jobs and paychecks be hitting. (laughs) (laughs) And then that's where I met him. And then we was he a customer or you know co? He was a customer. He came to buy. Um, he came to um get some food that evening. I that evening actually, and so that's how I met him. And then we became friends. And then eventually we started dating and. um, we dated on and off because um, the relationship was like a roller coaster. Um, it, he was abusive. He was abusive on all different levels. Um, you know, abuse is not just the physical, but um, he was physically abusive, emotionally, mentally, you know. Um, and so it's like, they say when abusive relationships, especially those that are physical, mm-hmm. um, when you get away from your abuser, they are not happy to see you with someone else. Mm-hmm. And when they do, when they do realize that you're you're moving on, and they do realize that you know you're beginning to gain your balance, and you're you know forgetting that part of your life, all of a sudden they show up and they start doing all those things that you you know, you hoped that mm. they would do, they, they start acting the way you hoped that they would act. And so we were kind of on and off and that, mm. that was our situation. Um, but then I ended up marrying him because at some point he actually sh- 
showed me in, you know, a different, a totally different person. And I was like, okay, you know, maybe my prayers have worked, maybe he's changed and, you know, all that. But after we got married, it, it, it all went downhill. Like I'd never seen it before. Mm. So you actually detail in the book that nobody in your family uh, cared for this guy and that they thought that he was no good for you. Why did you stay or why did you keep, you know, accepting him back? I know you mentioned that, you know, he would come back and, you know, do the things that he was supposed to do that you hope to do and fulfill those roles. So, you know, whatever the case may be. But why do you why did you think otherwise from your family and friends who say, hey, listen, we, we don't think this person is right for you? So, first of all, um, my family didn't know a lot about our relationship. Um, I think the most that they, they didn't know about the abuse. I didn't, I definitely didn't tell them. <laughs> um, I, I thought that they didn't care for him because for one, he wasn't Cameroonian. He was not from Cameroon. Um, and then I also believe that they didn't care for him because he never came around my family that much. Um, so they never knew him. And I think that was, I personally think that was one of the issues because they were probably thinking like, why, why do you have a boyfriend who never wants to come around? You know, who wants, you know, you, you only want to spend time with him. You don't want to, you know, bring him around your family. So I think my family's problem was more of, I was giving so giving too much into the relationship and which was true because he was very controlling of my time and of who I spent time with, including my family. So I don't think that my family didn't want me to be with him because of the abuse, because they did, they had no idea that he was, he was abusive. Mm. I, I, I didn't give them that information because I felt like if I told them that it would yeah, be I was going to ask, so why did you, why did you, why did you choose to hide it from them? So I, I felt like if I told them that it would give them more reason to hate him, you know, even more, hmm. you know, so. And so you must have really liked him. I did. Like, yeah. You know, to how, how. Like how how long did you guys date? You know, I know it was on and off, but how long did you how long was the relationship? About four years, five years. So you married him at what age from 19 you guys started to what 20? We got we got married when I was 24. Mm-hmm. So and how old was he when he when he when you guys got married? So I was 24, so he was 32. Mm-hmm. Is the math right? No, that's he's eleven years, so he was I'm trying to my think. Math, my math is horrible, you know. I produce <laughs> math wizard, so thirty-five, can, thirty-five, thirty-five. So you, you twenty-four, he's thirty-five. You guys dated around four years, you know. In, in dating, he's you know already showing signs of abuse. Some people might be watching or listening right now. It's like wondering why would you stay in such a relationship for six years, six, four years, five years? Uh, talk about talk about for a second. You know, did you feel the urge to leave, even in marriage? And how hard was it if, if it was for you? Um, in the first few years, like let's say the first two years, I had never been in a relationship like that. I had never seen anything like that. Not even my parents' marriage. I had never seen anything like that. I had never seen, I had never experienced anything like that with family or even friends, I, I don't think that I had experienced anything like that. So when he was acting like that, I didn't really 
because it started out with the control like i don't want you to go here why are you going there you need to take permission before you do this or before you do that before it actually went into the you know the physical but i remember the first time that he hit me you know i was kind of shocked like what <laughs> what in the world you know mm-hmm. and then he came back and he apologized to me and everything was fine but i think i i stayed because i had never experienced anything like that and i was hoping for a change but from what i know now once someone is abusive they could they could be abusive forever mm. you know some people change but it's it's very rare mm. and a narcissistic person is always going to be like that mm. so you so, say narcissistic he was mm. <laughs> he was um so and then also i was i think for some reason i was i was just scared to leave mm. Scared of not knowing where to go because I was gonna not know where to go, not knowing. Um, I didn't want to talk to people. I felt ashamed to tell people that okay, this is what I was, this is what I'm going through. There's somebody mm-hmm. who's, you know, being abusive to me. Somebody that I care about. Somebody that I have, um, you know, said, you know, made him look like this very important person. You know, giving everybody a good impression about him. Mm-hmm. And then now to go back and tell them, hey, you know, it's my friends, my family, like, hey, yeah, what you guys were, what you guys are saying is is right. You know, mm-hmm. he's really not good for me because he's putting his hands on me and he's he's abusing me. You know. Yeah, and that's so, that, that's that stigma, and you know that what a lot of you know people victims of abuse don't come out because of you know that that fear of shame. Because I was gonna ask, like, you hid it from your family, understandably. So this is your family, but then why not friends? Especially given that you said uh, people, you know, uh, you had never seen it, you know, in your family or, or friends. What was what was the, like you you said the first time he hit you? What was it? You know, and no no amount of hitting a woman is allowed, or you know, should be. But just like was it. I don't want to get you can say hey i don't even want to talk about this you know i'm healed i'm healing well i talk about it in the book yeah so <laughs> definitely go pick it up scars to scars <laughs> but like how did you did you confront him or was just like he apologized right after like how did no i, I was so shocked i was so shocked that i didn't even have i didn't even have the, the words could not even come out of my mouth to ask him like what what did you just do mm-hmm. like i couldn't even like i was you know, like you hold somebody in your in your mind, they're up here and then they do something. Mm-hmm. It takes you a few days for you to actually accept that, okay, hey, this person actually disappointed me. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so I was shocked. And um, he did apologize, but it, it, it wasn't like an instant apology. Mm-hmm. You know, so it when I think about it now, I'm like, okay, he probably wasn't even sorry about it, you know, because if you hit somebody, regardless of if you're dating them or whatever, even if you're just, even when siblings fight, you know, if you're sorry, you'd be like, oh my God, I'm sorry. I hit you. You know, it was a mistake. I was upset. But then when you wait for days before you actually apologize, that means you're, 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 you're really not, you're really, you're really not sorry. Mm-hmm. 
you know, because he knows better that it was wrong for him to hit a woman or to hit his girlfriend, mm -hmm. I would think. Yeah. But yeah. You mentioned I was just gonna ask. You you just you just setting these things up perfect. Uh did he ever hit you while you were dating or the first time was while you were married? No, while we we're dating. While we're dating. Wow. Yeah, but it got worse when we got it 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 got worse um when we got married. Mm-hmm. Man, authorities, you know, somebody not related to you, don't know nothing that you ever think like, yo, I'm about to hit like police up any, you know? Um, I say this in my book that um, because I would, I remember one time he hit me and I did tell him that I was going to call the cops mm -hmm. and he laughed <laughs> and he was like, go ahead and call the cops. They'll take, they'll take us both to jail and when we get there you're the i am an american citizen i get to stay what about you mm. Mm. so that was one of the things that he held over my head um when we got married mm. man when we come back we're gonna talk more with Anne and her book scars the stars this is stuck in middle podcast We'll be right back. This episode of Stuck in Middle Podcast is sponsored by our online store. Definitely go online, sitmpodcast.com backslash store to shop Stuck in Middle Podcast merch, hoodies. It's getting cold out here, man. Go shop a hoodie, you know, crew necks, all that great stuff. Buy one for yourself, your boyfriend. Don't be stealing hoodies out here. Definitely drive this machine. We have an incredible team. If you want to sponsor an episode, Send us an email. The email is on the website. If you want to sponsor an episode of Stuck in Middle Podcast, we appreciate y'all. Definitely subscribe. Let's get back to the episode. Welcome back. We're talking to Anne, the writer of Scars to Stars, a memoir by her book that details her life moving from Cameroon to the United States as a student on a visa and getting in a toxic relationship. Abusive one that lands her in jail for six years. So, man, we just we just went through a lot. Uh, yeah. And this, there's still a lot of ground to cover, but I was just curious, like, what were some red flags? Like, were there any red flag signs, things that you you saw as cause for question, you know, initially in dating? And, you know, I, you know, I read that he married while you guys were married. Like, he married somebody and would travel outside of the country while you were married. Like, did, did any of those, like, you know, was like, yo, I'm out, I'm leaving. Were any of those, like... Did he, did he, did it, was it, was it the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back for you? Yeah, I think the whole, um, when I found out that he was married to someone else, that's say when that, I, say that again. When I found out that he was married to someone else while right. I was married to him. Mm -hmm. And not only that, that wasn't, that wasn't just it. It's because when I um, approached him about it, when I questioned him, he was getting mad. Like I'm the one who's supposed to be getting mad and not you. And to the point where he still wanted to put his hands on me. So that's when I was like, no, if this is going to be the last day that I don't let you put your hands on me, whatever I have to do, I'm going to do it. Mm. Um, I think that was the straw for me. Not yeah, the fact that he was, you know, he, he got married to this other lady while he was married to me. But what what just 
made all hell break loose for me was when I confronted him and he was getting mad at me and trying to replay that whole scene where he turns everything around on me and then Mm -hmm. getting ready to still put his hands on me. And I was like, this is going to, this is going to be it. You're, you're not even, you've done wrong on so many levels. You've Mm -hmm. married some other person while you're married to me. So you don't even have the right to yell at me. You don't even have the right to get angry. You don't even have the right to even think about putting your hands on me anymore. Mm -hmm. So that was it. Yeah, I want to, you know, for people, some people might not get the context, but you, you are here on a student visa. And uh, for people who don't know, once your school is over, you, you got to go home with, you know, I don't know if that was the case for you. So I can, I can see why, you know, being married, even though if somebody is, you marry somebody who is a citizen, you can, you know, definitely get, you know, papers, asylum, whatever the case would be to stay. Was that, was that legitimate? Like that he held over your head or did you, were you, did you have grounds to say, Hey, listen, I can, I can leave this house and I, I, you know, I'm good. I'm good here. I got, I got legitimate papers. Um, at some point I got tired. And, um, when you read from reading my book, I had actually moved out of the house because I had got, I had gotten tired and I was like, you know what? I don't care anymore. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm tired of being punched on. I'm tired of being controlled. You know, I'm tired of all this stuff. So at some point I was, I had left. I, I, I didn't even care about what the consequences were. You know, I had moved out of the house. Um, so yeah, at some point I, ha- I was like, you know, you can have it. You can have the papers, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, I have gone through so much. I'm going through so much. I can't keep doing this, you know, especially when um, my family has started to realize that something was going on, going on with me. um, And I didn't want them to ask many questions. And so I left. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You mentioned your family eventually find out uh, first, did they find out from you and did you feel supported at all? Like, was there any help from family, friends? Um, my family knew that I, him and I were separated, but my family did not, even at that point, they didn't know that he was abusive. My family didn't find out until later, until after all of this happened when I went to jail, but they did know that I went through a, a bout of depression when I moved out. Um, so they knew about that and they knew that it was really related to, you know, the situation with me and him but again they never knew about the you know the actual physical abuse right Mm -hmm. uh you mentioned you ended up in jail you know you ended up in a mental facility in north carolina you know to help with your depression because you know throughout all this you're struggling and dealing with depression first of all talk about that bout with depression you know like how how you were you ever able to, you know, overcome that while be being married in that season? Or have you ever been able to overcome that depression? Talk about the importance of depression, especially for people listening right now who might be in similar situations or have overcome similar situations. So will be in it. So they know, you know, how to deal. So um, that was my first time ever being depressed. Um, and oh, my God, it took a, a long time. It took months. <laughs> It took months for me to get out of it. Um, and I didn't fully even get out of it before I went to jail. And then when I did go to jail, 
I suffered PTSD. Um, mm. I used to have flashbacks of, you know, the abuse. I will, I'll have dreams where he's chasing me. Um, I'll have dreams where he, he and I are fighting. Um, and then I had a hard time sleeping. Sometimes I'll be scared to go to sleep because I don't want to have those dreams. So what I usually, I used to do was I'll, during the day, I didn't have them. I'll sleep all day. And then at night I'll stay up and read <laughs> while everybody's sleeping. Wow. Um, so and then I had some, you know, I had depression when I was in jail and that was my first time ever taking any kind of mental health medication. And that's the, the, the psychiatrist kept insisting that, you know, you're in an environment that it's enclosed, you know, this is something that's going to help you. You need to try it. So I went on the meds, but the meds to me only made me feel worse. And when I say that it made me not feel like myself um anybody who's taking any kind of mental health medication it numbs you hmm. you know so i i felt like i didn't have feelings you know um i wasn't reacting to situations normally and when i say that i mean to say that if we're watching tv and and everybody was laughing it was a funny scene i i, I will not laugh you know hmm. if it's something sad I will not cry. I just felt like I was numb. I didn't have any feelings. So, and then after being on the meds for a while, I told the lady, I was like, I need to get off of this. I cannot do this. I feel like I, I feel like I don't have any feelings and I should be, I should have feelings. That's how God created us. You know, mm -hmm. when it's time to laugh, I should be able to laugh when it's time to cry. You know, I should be able to cry, you know, and then I went off the meds and tried to figure out different ways, um, to get out of the, the depression, like exercising, um, mostly exercising. That's what mm -hmm. helped me a lot. Yeah. Um, and so depression is a disease. Um, I cannot say if you, you can get, you can get over a depression, like it's things that make people depressed, right? So when you're depressed, in that moment is because something has made you depressed mm -hmm. and so you're depressed and then you go through the depression some people are depressed for three days a week some people it could take months it could take even six months it could even take a year you know again it's really it's relative on how you know it, it hits you mm -hmm. and um some people will get oh get over from a, a bout of depression and then six months later something else happens or they, they start relieving their trauma and they get depressed again so I can't really say um, depression is something that can come and go and come again and go um, because I personally have found myself in a depressive state three times mm recently or do you know during during this this time um during that time and even sometime this year mm -hmm. i was i had some stuff happen to me that mm -hmm. um you know some you know life happens and yeah, yeah, I, I found myself in a depressive state and it took yeah. me about it took about a good two to three months for me mm -hmm. to even start getting out of it 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, especially, you know, COVID and everything, you know, us spending a lot of time with ourselves, a lot of, you know, mental health, definitely advocate for that. We are big advocates for, you know, taking care of our wellness. And we're going to talk about your magazine, Afro Wellness, in a second. But any and everything you can do to help your mental health, your physical health, man, please, 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 please do uh, reach out for help. Don't, you know, feel stigmatized or anything. And, you know, we have somebody who's been through it and has an incredible platform right now in and to talk about it. Um, but how did you end up in the mental facility in North Carolina? Like, how did you end up there? I didn't, I don't remember saying that in the book. I was in the in a facility, in a mm-hmm. women's facility. Mm-hmm. I never went to mental. Um, you do get to see psychiatrists when you're mm-hmm. in jail. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're admitted, they ask you a lot of questions, which are, because I guess it's a safety thing. They want to make sure that you're not suicidal right, because yeah. that is, it's a very tough thing for some people to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um so you, you do get, and, you, and if you're not feeling well, if you're not feeling well in your mind and you need to talk to psychiatrists, they do have them on site. Mm-hmm. So um, I didn't, I don't remember saying in the book that I went to a mental facility, but I was in a women's um, facility. Yeah. Um, institutional institution. So, you know, if I'm, if I'm the victim of an abuse, you know, <laughs> Legally speaking, my abuser has to suffer consequences for his or her action. I ain't got to go to jail. <laughs> That's the big question. Is like, how did you, the victim, and was it something different related, or did you fire back? Did you finally snap and kill a man, man down? <laughs> what happened? So first of all, oh, no, I didn't kill nobody, but thank God. <laughs> um, First of all, um, I never reported my abuse. I, I did call the, the police one time, um, but they never, it, nothing was documented because they felt like there was, they, there was not a threat at the time. Um, but because I did not re- report my abuse to the authorities, it never, it never gave, my attorney it never gave the courts grounds to look at whatever happened um as a self-defense um a self-defense plea basically mm-hmm. and regardless even if i did north carolina doesn't have a self-defense law so it, it really doesn't matter um but Yes, I did snap. And remember when I told you earlier that I had reached a breaking point when I when I found out that he was married to someone else and then confronting him, he started making it making it out to be my problem. Like this is something that I had created. And that's those are signs of an abusive partner. You know, they always turn things around to make you look like the bad person. Um, and so he wanted to hit me again. And I told myself in my head, I'm like, if this is the last time that you ever hit me, this is going to be the last time, last time. And I'm never going to let you hit me again, you know? And so I snapped on him and that's how he became the victim. And I ended up in jail. Mm. Um, yeah. So this, there, there was a, there was a due process in court. 
Um, they call it due process, but it's really not due process in the criminal justice system. Not everything is due process. That's something that I learned after five years. It's not everything is due process. It's mm. supposed to be in the court of, in, you know, in the criminal justice system, but it's, it doesn't always happen like that. So what, what, what happened to him? Um, I don't know where he is right now. <laughs> I don't know where he is right now, but he's fine. He's alive and well. Man. And see if it can't get any worse. I don't know if, you know, uh, I'm getting my facts wrong. After you get out of jail, how long did you spend in jail? I was in jail for four years and 10 months. Dang. Four years and ten months Almost for five years for snapping five somebody years. once who has been abusive to you for you know years. Um, you know that must have been difficult. And then when you get out, you ended up in immigration prison. Yeah, How? immigration detention. How? Um, because when I went to jail. Remember, I wasn't, if you're not an American citizen and you get in trouble, you're, you automatically have a hold placed on you. Mm -hmm. So, um, and so you have to go through immigration proceedings and basically um, fight for your stay in the U.S. Yeah. If you're not an American citizen, that's citizen, that's standard procedure. Yeah. How long were you there for? I was there for 10 months. Wow. Sheesh. So, you know, in total, like six, six years plus. Yeah. How traumatic was it for you to write this book? Because I imagine like I'm, I've, I've gone through a traumatic experience myself um, and writing a book. I'm, I'm a published author myself. Writing a book was very oh, different. Uh, sorry to that. Yeah, go ahead. I said that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Good author yourself. Mm-hmm. And so writing the book was very difficult. It took me a lot because, you know, sometimes you write in a chapter or you write just even a sentence. You like it's like reliving it all over again. So how traumatic was it for you to write this book, Scars to Stars, a memoir? Like, you know, because it was, like I said, pretty much relieving those experiences, I imagine. Yes, it was. It was hard, um, but it was kind of therapy for me. And I always say that my book is therapy. A few months ago when I was dealing with some stuff, I read it so many times um, because it is therapy for me. And I didn't just write it for other people. I wrote it for myself. Mm. Um, and so when I read it, I have mixed feeling, mixed emotions. You know, I have this happy feeling and I have this sad feeling. Um, sometimes I laugh. Sometimes I cry. Um but when I was writing it, not every day was the same. Some days I just wrote, you know, and wrote and wrote and wrote. Some days I would write. And when I get to a certain point that was, was really, really a dark time in my life, I have to pause. Sometimes I'll take days and not even want to touch it because I don't want to, I don't want to think about, you know. But then again, I always, I kept telling myself that, you cannot move to the next chapter until you finish this. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't go to chapter three if you're not done with chapter two. No matter how bad chapter two is making you feel right now, it's making you feel sick to your stomach. 
you still have to finish it. Mm -hmm. So every day was not the same. Yeah. Yeah. Have you since have you since met you know women who are going through you know what you talk about in the book you know have you since met women like that I imagine you will at the Afro wellness event that's coming up and you know we're getting ready to talk about it but have you since met women who who are going through what you went through I met a lot of women in jail that um, went through what I went through and even worse um, and again like you said the victim ends up in jail a lot of them are there a lot. Um, even in immigration, um, I saw situations where a man has been beating on his woman for years and then, you know, the cops came and they took the, the woman and left the man and the lady comes, her eyes are swollen. She has black eyes. She's all bruised. And you're asking yourself, like, why did they take you and not him? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, but maybe they didn't take him because he's, you know, he has papers and the lady doesn't, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I have met a lot of women and men, you know, women are the only person who who um, go through abusive relationships. So it's For not sure. just domestic violence or abuse is not just a woman thing. Right. There are men too that, that, that um, deal with domestic abuse. Right. Yeah, certainly. Uh, what is, you know, what is one thing as a society, as people we can do to help the situation, like both for the, for the, you know, family, friends, and, you know, for the, the victim, like, how can we make sure that this does not get out of hand? Like it's getting out of hand for some people. Like what, what can we do different from your experience? What can people do different? I think that, um, we need to let people in our community know that it's okay if you if some if your spouse or your like I've told my friends that if your if your spouse or your boyfriend is hitting you if you're in a domestic violence situation um, and you don't want him if you don't want me to call the cops on on your partner. Don't tell me about it because when you do, that's exactly what I'm going to do without even asking for your permission. Mm. Um, so I think we need to we, we need to make it okay for people to talk about it. Because mm. sometimes we are afraid, sometimes we're ashamed because, you know, the community that we live in, you tell somebody something and the next thing, you know, 20 people in 20 different states know about it. Right. You know, and that's not the solution. The solution is for you to find, get help for them mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. not talk about it because sometimes that's why people are scared to tell people that, hey, look, I'm in an abusive relationship. This man is putting his hands on me. This this lady is putting her hands on me. You know, this man is controlling. This lady is controlling and, and all these things. So we need to get to the point where we have to make people in our community feel like it's okay. Mm-hmm. If you're not in a safe environment, it's okay for you to tell, talk to me and we'll figure out how to mm-hmm. get you out of it without making it a whole big deal. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, of course, you got the platform Afro Wellness Magazine popping. Uh, we started a little bit late recording this podcast because, you know, you had a little emergency with the, you know, setting up the event and everything. First of all, what is Afro Wellness Magazine? What is what is what is this about? What is this baby that you got about? Um, Afro Wellness is, first of all, a magazine for us 
the Black community, the Afro community. Um, it's a wellness magazine. It's not necessarily a health magazine. It's a wellness magazine, meaning it's a magazine that would target everything um, that has to do with our wellness, you know, body, mind, spirit, um, a magazine that will target everything that gives us, you know, they talk about optimal health, optimal wellness, you know, from, you know, health issues, fitness, finance, beauty, skincare, mental health, um, eating right, nutrition, um, wellness coaching, all of those things, because all of those things are a package when, when we talk about wellness. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I say it's a magazine for our people of our community, because I'm very intentional about it. I was very intentional about making it our thing, because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that we make, we neglect Mm -hmm. in um, our community, especially the mental health you know, the mental health situation. Uh, mental health is broad. Mental health is not just depression or suicide or PTSD, it's broad, you know? And so I wanted to create a platform where we could express ourselves. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not perfect. I've, I've, I've dealt with so many battles and I'm dealing with so many battles and people think that just because I wrote a book, I'm supposed to be this superwoman. No, <laughs> I'm not, I'm really far from it. Um, and so I wanted to create a platform where we can come and express ourselves and encourage each other and find ways that we could help our community to be well, not just physiologically, but also like mentally and well in the inside. Because a lot of people look well, but they're not well. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, that's what Afro Wellness Magazine is all about. And the launch, the you know inaugural event day. When is that happening, by the way? In Charlotte, North Carolina, next weekend, which is October eighth through the tenth, um, mm-hmm. we're gonna have the entire weekend of events um, planned out. So, yeah, what sort of events? You are stuck in the middle, man. You got to speed up. <laughs> so on Friday night. We're going, we're having a pre-launch party at Safari Lounge. Um, We're going to be partying. Again, wellness is all about balance. Mm -hmm. And then on Saturday morning from 9 to 10, we have a pop-up shop where we're going to have vendors, um, music, and brunch. Mm -hmm. And then from 1130, we're going to have a self-care segment um, that will be coached by a holistic coach, She's a wellness and holistic coach. So she's going to give a segment on self-care. And then after that, to celebrate um, Domestic Violence Awareness Month, which is October, we're going to have a domestic violence um, panel for an hour. And then after that, we're going to have a yoga session. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when people have these discussions about domestic violence, it creates, creates a lot of tension. So we're going to have that yoga session where everybody can calm down and get their minds ready for the gala that night. Um, Mm -hmm. So we're going to have a gala red carpet event. Um, And then Sunday, we're going to have a cookout to close out the, the launch weekend. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. 
I got to be in North Carolina next week. <laughs> if you are in the DMV area and you listen to Stuck Meter, if you are watching, listening to Africa, Europe, the UK right now, it's kind of too late to get tickets. Um, but definitely support because AfroWellness.com. And we is- have a we have a, a virtual, uh-uh. virtual party. Yeah, virtual. You can so you can just go to the website and you have all that information. Definitely. And when I when we say you know wellness magazine, you actually have e magazines and print copies. So talk about the website, how people can get their hands on this magazine, what they can see when they flip the pages and things like that. Okay, so um, of course the magazine is not it's not going to be available even for the ebook until after the launch because mm-hmm. we. <laughs> We want to keep everybody in suspense, right? Uh So if you go to the website, www.afrowellness.com, click on the upcoming events tab, and you will see um, the tickets for the virtual party and for the actual physical party. You can go ahead and purchase them, purchase your tickets from there. Um, And then to subscribe, to get a a subscription for the magazine, click on the subscription tab. Some people have been subscribing to the newsletter, but that doesn't give you access to the magazine. You have to click on the subscription tab. Mm -hmm. And when you click on that, it will show you the option for the ebook and the print copy. Definitely. And, uh, you know, definitely wish you a lot of success next week. I know, you know, it's not easy putting on an event. I hope you have a lot of support and you're getting enough rest. And speaking of rest and speaking of mental, how are you? Like, are you good? Are you healed? Are you whole, you know, from, you know, the the the, the marriage and the, you know, the abuse and the situation? Like, are, how are you today? How are you right now? Um, Today, right now, I'm going to say that I, I survived that situation. <laughs> I survived that situation. Um, when you go through something like that, um, you've basically gone through, through trauma. And um, sometimes, some, some days are, are, or some months are, are better than others. You know, you always have that one thing, especially when you have that one thing that reminds you of that one thing that will pop up at any time and remind you of what you've been through. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had those instances since then. And um, those days, it's not easy. Sometimes I snap out of it. And sometimes it, it takes a, a little minute for me to snap out of it. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, not every day is the same. I meant to ask you, did you, how did you serve a full term or was there, you know, throughout like, you know, three and a half years or the four and a half years? Uh, North there? Carolina doesn't have that stuff. <laughs> they do every day. Dang. So it wasn't like, you know, they revisited the case and was like, nah, did we, we, you know, it was some evidence and we wrongfully convicted. You were sentenced to. No, North Carolina does not have, when, when you get sentenced in North Carolina, um, they don't, you know, I think other states have like, you get, you do 50% and, mm. or no, North Carolina doesn't have to have that. So North Carolina only has um, a minimum sentence and a maximum. Mm-hmm. So you have to do the minimum, which I did. I just did the minimum. How, how long were you sentenced to? Four years and 10 months. That's 58 months, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, they did it in yeah, months. When, when people say months, you know, even with babies, my baby's, you know, 18. Just tell me the baby's one year. Something. That, that makes more sense in my Yeah, head. but when they sentence you, they don't they do not do it in years. They do it in months. So months. you have to kind of, like, figure it out. And yeah, yo, It's you very scary like, when you, you see the like, Oh, it's, you know, only, you know, 38 months. Damn, I'm about to be in jail for four years. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but the months thing sounds better when you're almost done with your time you're like okay i got 18 months which means you have like a year and a half left or you know it sounds but in the beginning it's like what what are what are all these numbers <laughs> who's mm-hmm. gonna do this you know but yeah so you have to work your way down to the minimum and basically you just have to not get in trouble or you know have a job or go to school and mm-hmm. it'll always keep you at that minimum but mm-hmm. some people who are really rebellious end up leaving in their yeah. max at their maximum yeah. time mm-hmm. and some people fall in love with jail they get out you know do some stuff and, and come, come back I, I don't understand i've never understood that and mm-hmm. i'll never understand it but you know you never yeah. know what's in people's minds mm-hmm. so we try not to judge right <laughs> the the experience of you know you spending you know time incarcerated in america is a whole different you know episode on its own but i did want to ask you a question and not just for god dang it uh i rarely forget my questions and that's okay <laughs> that's okay crap i rarely forget my questions but that's okay but not nah, like i said the experience the whole experience of you spending time that's a whole different episode on its own um oh yeah i was gonna ask like why are you still in north carolina because personally speaking for me part of healing is i gotta go <laughs> um my family yeah my family is one of the things um, because I felt I did want I did I did not want to be in North Carolina, but um, I feel like they they missed me. I was gone for a, a minute, and so maybe in the future I'll probably move out. But for now, it was it it was because of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um. And they're all here, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, nah, that, that definitely makes sense. I understand that. Um, man, and this has been a, a talk. This is, you know, I, we we turned this right in less than a week. Money, shout out to Money, by the way, for hitting us up. You know, uh, shout out to Ma for, you know, making room for this. We turned this right in a week. Usually we don't do this. You know, we we schedule, I guess, like a month out because we want to give ourselves time to, you know, call them, have a relationship and build a really good rapport, have a good interview. But I think this was great. Would you Would you agree? Yeah, <laughs> it was it was too soon, but I think we did good. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. Listen, if you enjoyed what Sometimes you heard, it's good to do impromptu stuff. It flows yeah. easily, it flows like you're easy. having a conversation, you know. Exactly, exactly. Like I said, man, you know, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna run this back. I wish you a lot of success. You know, next weekend on the event, AfroWellnessMagazine.com is popping. Definitely go grab a copy. How can people get in contact with you? How can people purchase your book, Scars to Stars, and memoir? How can people just reach out to you if they're struggling, if they, you know what I'm saying, want to help you get retribution, vengeance, you know, and... <laughs> Don't get no vengeance. Do not get vengeance. Do not get retribution. Do not do it. Do not do it. But How can people reach out to you? <laughs> if you want to purchase my book, you can go to Amazon. It is on Amazon. Um, if you want an autographed copy... You can reach out to me on Instagram and Alopuede. 
and um, we'll figure out how to get your an autographed copy. And um, you can reach out to me on my Instagram page and mm-hmm. Alabaster. I check that really often. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the website also is live. Support the event next weekend if you want to watch it live. Hit up AfroWellnessMagazine.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Listen, I am your host, Reflex, aka is the producer of this episode. Ma and uh, Mane are the arrangers. We have Tutu, we have Charles, we have Chuju, we have Ines, the team behind this machine. If you want to support us, hit the SITM podcast, 237.com, shop merch. If you want to write for us, slash blog, you can write for us, slash store, you shop merch. At gmail.com, if you want to send us an email, refer guests, or just, you know, chat with us. This has been awesome. Hit the subscribe button. I am your host, Reflex. We'll see you on the next one. Peace.